Hello, and welcome to the Smart Injury Doctors Podcast, the injury market's top program for doctors, lawyers, and insurers who want to gain greater insight on how to improve patient recovery results and deliver better services in the U.S. injury market. Please welcome your host, Dr. Jeffrey Allen Kronk. Okay, doctors, what I want to talk today about is I got asked in a group uh, to provide a podcast on a spinal injury workflow, kind of a, like a workflow or a standard workup, or how would you work one up? And it's really, really simple to do, so I thought I'd address it today in a podcast. Spinal injuries are easy. There's only three main injuries that any spine can have because there's only two tissues to a spine. There's bone and connective tissue, so you either have to damage the bone or you have to damage the connective tissue, or you could damage both. But for sake of ease, what we're going to talk about is not the spinal fracture case. So what we're going to talk about is the spinal ligament injury case or the connective tissue injury case. There's 220 specialized ligaments in a spine, 23 of which are discs. So the support ligaments, which are all the non-disc ligaments, their primary job is to keep the spine in alignment and not to allow any form of excessive motion in the spine at all. They also support the disc and keep it in place. So there's three types of injury to the spine. There's the fracture, there's the excessive motion injury to the support ligaments, and then there's the disc herniation to the disc itself. So when we talk about the two connective tissue, we're talking about support ligaments cause excessive motion and spinal instability. Spinal instability is the inability of the spine to maintain alignment under load so as to cause pressure on the nerve and cause nerve interference and or cause pain. It's actually the identical definition of a spinal subluxation in the chiropractic terms. Now, that spinal instability is the inability of the spine to maintain alignment under load so as to cause pressure on the core, so as to cause pressure on the nerve or to cause pain, which is, um, which is, is stabilized through chiropractic care, which is stabilized through physical therapy care. If those cares don't work, then it's stabilized through pain management services, if possible. If that doesn't work, then it's stabilized through a spine surgery, potentially. So let's talk about the basic workup, though. A patient comes in and they have a spinal injury. Any doctor in the world is going to look and say, okay, did they break their spine? No. Okay, if they, if they had spinal injury then, and remember, spinal injuries are the number one cause of pain and disability in the world today. If they had a spinal injury and you're, they're, you're saying or the patient's asserting or they have the symptoms of, a, of an injury itself, which are many sim- symptoms associated with that condition, then essentially you're going to do a spinal uh, connective tissue workup. And so that connective tissue workup is a really, really easy workup to do. So you're going to do, first of all, when you patient comes in, you're going to have them fill out of forms. You're going to you're going to have them come into a consult. In that consult, you're going to get the information that is pertinent to the case. In other words, you're going to get a history of the condition. Hey, what happened? What was the mechanism? What was the potential thing that caused the injuries in the first place? You're going to get all the symptoms listed. You're going to rule in and rule out any pre-existing conditions that may be contributing to the condition. You're going to explain any gaps in care. Right? That's what you're going to do in a consult. Now, you're also going to explain what you're looking for, and you're going to transition them into an examination. In the examination, one of the things you're going to look for, one of the main things you're going to look for in a new injury is inflammatory findings. Inflammatory findings are easy to pick up because if you go intersegmentally 
in the interspinous space, you're going to pick up whether there's any pain or sensitivity with that condition. Now, that's key to documenting. You want to document that because that allows you to, in every single x-ray guideline in the world, which is called like the National Emergency X-ray Utilization Study or a Nexus Study or the Canadian Cervical Spine Study, it says that basically if you have midline spine cervical uh, midline cervical spine tenderness or lumbar spine tenderness or thoracic spine tenderness, you can now take an x-ray. Now, you're going to use that to start the understanding of the fact that this is a new injury. Chronic conditions don't necessarily cause the same amount of inflammation that injury conditions do, acute injuries. So you want to you want to note that now, you may also, in the examination, you're going to run all the things that you normally run. If you do cervical, if you do um, cranial nerve studies, great, you're going to do that. If you do orthopedic tests, you're going to do that. If you do range of motion, you're going to do that. You're going to do all the normal things that you do, but you might also add in muscle testing, muscle testing to specific level, levels, neck flexion for C1, neck extension for C2, neck lateral flexion, both sides, C3, shoulder evaluation elevation for C4, right? You could have uh, uh, um, abductors for C5, wrist extensors for extension for C6, elbow extension for C7, finger flexors for C8, finger abductors for T1, right? If I want to go down to L2, I got hip flexors for L2, knee extensors for L3, ankle dorsal flexion, for L4, long toe extensor for L5, and ankle plantar flexors for S2, right? So I can check those. I can check those. And if I have a weakness, let's say my shoulder abductors are weak, okay? I know I might have a C5 problem. I know that's in the C4, C5 motion unit, right? So I immediately go to that motion unit and I go, okay, what am I supposed to what injury might I find there? Well, there's only two injuries, connective tissue, either excessive motion or disc herniation. I can also do sensory testing, right? So I go in, I do my consult, I do my, my examination, and then I'm going to take x-rays. There's no way that you can determine the severity of any spinal ligament injury without x-rays because they pick up a key x-ray finding. And that key x-ray finding is obviously excessive motion. Now, I'm actually following chiropractic guidelines in order to do that. And the chiropractic guidelines that I'm following are the best practice guidelines of the International Chiropractic Association. And it's right in there, PCCRP x-ray guidelines. It says right here, introduction to general radiology. Radiology is a proven procedure for visualizing human anatomy and in particular spinal structures. The goal of radiography in chiropractic is to make an assessment of the spinal subluxation. Subluxation is a misalignment of the verb that causes nerve interference. Make a determination of the spinal health, including the presence of any soft tissue injury. Soft tissue injury means what? There's only one soft tissue, and that's ligament. Okay, It's either excessive motion or disc herniation. It also, I'm supposed to determine if there's a presence of any fractures and the presence of any bony pathologies. So when I make a determination of the spinal health, including the presence of any soft tissue injury, I'm using x-ray. This is x-ray guidelines, not an MRI guideline. I'm using an x-ray guideline in order to assess how badly sprained or how much ligament damage is there. If I got anything over one millimeter of, of translation, it's, 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 
it's abnormal. If it's zero, you know, if it's one to zero, it's in the normal range. If it's one to three point five, it's in the abnormal range. If it's three point five or more, it's it it's 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 in the severe range. Right? I also can look at guidelines and I can say, well, okay, these guidelines say that if I have no difference in angular finding of seven degrees or less, it's normal. If it's seven degrees to eleven degrees, it's abnormal. If it's over eleven degrees of difference in any any one between one or the other motion segment, either the one above or the one below, or in case there's not one above, such as C2, it's only the one below. So that's how I determine how badly damaged the ligaments are. I'm also supposed to make an assessment of any spinal instability. Spinal instability is, is excessive motion that causes nerve interference and or pain. Same as a spinal subluxation. I'm supposed to make an adis- assessment of any degenerative changes in the disc I'm going to make an accurate count of the vertebra. I'm just listing these off right in the chiropractic guidelines. And from this, I'm going to be able to develop the most appropriate treatment plan for my patient. So, of course, my next step after my examination procedure is I'm going to take, I'm going to take the patient or send the patient out for good x-rays. The x-rays I'm going to take in the cervical spine are A to P, A to P open mouth, lateral, flexion, extension, A to P open mouth, lateral bend left, A to P open mouth, lateral bend right. And I'm going to send those out. If I'm doing a lumbar study, I'm going to take the the neutral, the A to P, flexion, and extension. And I'm going to send those out to an unbiased radiology service that's going to measure for excessive motion because excessive motion is not something you see. It's something you measure. There's no chiropractor. There's no medical doctor in the world. There's no doctor in the world that can see angular findings. You just can't. So I'm going to send that out. Now, that's how I'm going to determine the severity and location of any ligament injury. Now, when the test comes back, I'm going to make modifications to my treatment plan based on what I found. Now, there's also research that states, hey, look, if I've got excessive motion in the spine, there's a good chance that I might have disc herniation at those levels depending on where the level is. So it also allows me to determine the fact that I'm going to be able to make better referrals or better referral choices in when I'm recommending an MRI. Now, when I get back the excessive motion report, it's gonna basically give me a lot of information. One, it's gonna allow me to grade the severity of the sprain, grade one, grade two, grade three. It's going to allow me to place the patient in Croft treatment guidelines, grade one, grade two, grade three, grade four, grade five, injury, grade. And this is for placement in the Croft treatment guidelines. This isn't a sprain grading system. This is a Croft treatment guideline grading system. It's going to help me to determine if I might have a possible spinal fusion need. Anything that's rateable in the AMA guides is usually a precursor for spinal fusion surgery. In other words, if I go to the spinal fusion guidelines, I go, okay, here's the guidelines. And in these guidelines, it says that this amount of excessive motion is allowed for pre-authorization for spinal fusion surgeries. So I'm also going to have my impairment rating covered. I'm also going to have, I'm going to determine immediately if I have a, a need to, to, Um, have an athlete be restricted in contact sports, right? So if I've got a severe ligament injury and you've got a person that does a keto or they do kickboxing or they do football or they do high-level contact sports, 
that person needs to be restricted and is these are right out of the athletic guidelines that are published right now all of that i gain from a from a excessive motion report i also get impairment placement so i find out if i've got some sort of impair, impairment condition now i've done this in the first first of all this is my first day remember consult exam x-rays i send out so two or three days later i know what my greatest sprain is do i have a problem uh, what's what's my level of impairment what's do i have a surgical candidate are the findings significant enough that they qualify in the surgical guidelines? I'm going to have impairment placement, activity return to play parameter placement, and I'm going to have a precursor for why I would do an MRI referral, and I'm going to have the kind of information that I need to set up a, an appropriate treatment plan and communicate to the patient what they have. So that's the general flow. Now, if I have, remember, when we go to the symptoms Let's go to the symptoms of a disc. So if I've got a disc, I've basically got two symptoms, localized pain and radicular com complaint. Now, let's say I've got any other symptom besides radicular complaint or localized pain. So let's say I've got balance difficulties or I've got visual disturbances, vertigo, tinnitus, migraine headaches, headaches in general, dizziness, post-concussive syndrome, difficulty swallowing, earfulness, autonomic nervous system dysregulation, um, these are not loss of voice. These are not things that are consistent with a disc herniation. That's not the tissue that causes it. They are consistent with spinal instability. Everyone in the world knows that they're consistent with spinal instability. It's in guidelines. It's out on major websites. And everyone knows that. So when I say everyone knows that, it's well written. So if I've got any other symptom, then... That's not a system of a disc herniation, but I may need to do, remember, I've got an excessive motion report. That excessive motion report now says that I have these things. I may need a disc uh, review. I, I may need to have an MRI and I have great rationale for, for sending out for the MRI at that point. So now I need to know, good, do I also at these areas of major instability, do I also have a disc herniation, which means it's a much more complicated case which means the patient should be informed that usual rehabilitation takes longer. So these are the things. Now, I also am going to document, great, do I have any things that the patient can't do? Or they're under duress, they can do them, but it causes problems. Those are called duties under duress factors. Or do I have things that the patient absolutely can't do? Those are called life, loss of enjoyment of life factors. Now, I'm going to set this case up. So Exa uh, consult, exam, x-rays. I know how badly the, the support ligaments are damaged. I start a treatment plan. I start a treatment plan that's according to stabilize that. Remember, that's a condition that can be stabilized. I may need two weeks, four weeks, six weeks out. I mean, in an MRI, I get the MRI findings. I correlate that. I do my outcome assessment procedures and I stabilize it to the best of my ability. If I need to set it up or send it up to another provider, to a physical therapist, good, I do so. If I need to send it to a pain management specialist, good, I do so. If I got excessive motion, I've got, I got facet problems, usually severe, severe facet problems. If I can't stabilize that, then the patient's running up the ascension ladder. Now, if I've got severe instability, 
I've got 3.5 millimeters or greater of translation, or I've got greater than 11 degrees of angular finding, or I have a 20% slippage. I've got the grounds for a spinal fusion surgery pre-authorization. So if nothing stabilizes it, then yeah, I'm going to send it up to the, to the spinal fusion surgeon. So I was asked to just do a very quick um, program on like, okay, how do you work these things up? How do you work up a patient from start to finish? I've given you a little bit of information. This is the information though that gets you paid better, gets your documentation accepted better, gets your attorney referrals to come up, gets your medical doctor's referrals to come up. This is the kind of information that if you understand what I just gave you on this podcast, this is the kind of information that allows you to build a very large injury practice. If you want to find out more information about this or you want to, you know, you say, wow, this all sounds great. Where do I learn more about it? It's all we teach in the Smart Injury Doctors program. So there's a couple things we have for resources for you, those of you that are listening. Um, one, we have the resource of the program itself. Anybody can find out about that by going to smartinjurydoctors.com or, and, and communicating with us. The other way is to call 800-940-6513 and communicating with us, asking what is the program, what does it cost, what does it do? These are basic things that I'm going over tonight on a, on a podcast. These are basic things that everyone should understand that's treating an injured patient. We also have a free uh, resource of a, of a Facebook user group, private group, where we give out all kinds of good information like these podcasts and other things that you can, you, can, you can gain more information from. And we also do the podcasts themselves, which are smartinjurydoctorspodcast.com. So doctors, in my podcast, what I do is I, I just do a very quick, brief sort of a riff on a particular topic, usually a short nine to 15 minutes on the topic. I appreciate everything that you do out there. Um, Everything we do is to help patients get better results. If you're interested in us, uh, just get a hold of us. Okay, doctors, I thank you very much for your time and your attention on this podcast, and I look forward to seeing you on the next one. You've been listening to the Smart Injury Doctors Podcast, the number one audio production show for professionals in the U.S. injury market that want to deliver better injury services to the patients, clients, or insureds they serve. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a review, and don't forget to join us on our next program.